Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Roanoke Real Estate Podcast with your host and realtor, the Fraser Hughes Experience. And do not forget to Hughes it or lose it. Okay, on the podcast today with us, we have Julianne Knapp. She is an attorney, and she's here locally in Roanoke with Anderson, Desimone, and Green. And uh, she practices estate planning and much, much more. Um, her background um, shows her as, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> Julian. Um, you're a graduate from Virginia Tech. That's right. And then you went to uh, Charleston School of Law. I did. I did my first two years of law school in Charleston, which I loved it down there. Um, but I grew up in Virginia, so I wanted to come back, and I did my last year at Washington and Lee. Okay, and you're a frequent guest speaker on topics such as estate planning, elder law, long-term care planning, guardianship, and special needs. And you're a member of the Virginia State Bar, uh, the Trust and Estates and Elder Law sections of Virginia Bar Association and the National Academy of Elder Laws. Um, and lo- lo- good grief. I mean, you, you are all, you're doing a lot. Um, locally, um, you are the treasurer of the Virginia Women's Attorneys Association, Roanoke Chapter, and is a member of the Roanoke Bar Association. That's right. Yep. All right. And um, so, hey, I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. I felt like it was really important to have you on, um, having to do with real estate and, and, um, real estate here in Roanoke and southwestern Virginia due to the fact that uh, people don't always have a plan, um, you know, when the, before they pass away or, you know, if their home is suddenly sitting there and they're no longer, yeah. there, no longer there with it. And um, I thought, hey, let's get her on the show and um, we can ask her some, you know, some questions and, you um, you know, because I think some people are very familiar with this. Some people have a plan, and some people do not have a plan. So, um, the first question is: is um, what what is estate planning? What does it entail? So, estate planning um, is I would I would consider it um, a preparing for the transfer of your assets. So, everybody has um, insurance, or a lot of people have insurance, real estate, different assets that make up. The things that they own. And so estate planning is just working with somebody, or you can do it on your own, but sometimes it helps to work with somebody um, to get those affairs in order so that you know where it's going, who's getting it, who's in charge. So it, I think it leaves people with peace of mind when they know, okay, I have my plan in place. I have it in writing. I know my wishes will be carried out. So that's what I would consider estate planning. Okay. Um, and what else do you do along with uh, anything else besides estate planning? You mean in my practice or what should you do? Yeah, I mean, well, I'd, I'd seen here that um, you you also, um, you you do other things besides that. Like, as oh, well. like elder law, uh, long-term care planning. Yeah, so 
um, along with estate planning, and estate planning is many pieces. So you can have a simple estate, you can have a very complex estate. Some clients come to us and say, well, not only do we want to plan for the transfer of our assets upon our passing, but we also want to protect assets. We have a family farm that's really special and it's been in our family for you know this many generations and we want to make sure it stays in the family we don't want to have to liquidate this farm to pay for our care if we ever had to go into a nursing home let's say because as you know the cost of care is really expensive in a nursing home it can um, drain people pretty quickly so that's another piece that we often look at when we are starting the estate planning process we say you know are there assets that you want to protect while you're alive as well, you know, to pass down to your children. Yeah. So if you go into if you go into a nursing home, um, you mean that they can't come and take your property, right? And you do need a window of time to protect those assets. So if you say I have this farm and it's really special, uh, we would have to make plans to transfer it five years prior to applying for public benefits. So Medicaid is the state program that. Uh, pays for long-term care when you run out of assets or money to pay for your care or if you don't have enough income to cover that monthly cost. And in order for them to pay, you have to have not given out any gifts within the last five years. Um, If you do, they can penalize you for that transfer. So we need a window of time to do planning. So planning ahead is key. Um, both with estate planning, of course, but also with asset protection. Yeah, I, I've dealt with with many properties, and um, you know, I I remember one recently where the son. It's okay, so the son is living with the mom, taking care of her, and the dad is mm-hmm. in the nursing home. And I'm, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be your realtor, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to help you all sell the yeah. house. And they said, well, first we got to call uh, Medicare. Or, uh, or is or it Medicaid? Medicaid, rather. Yeah. But uh-huh. and, and then you come to find out that they can't sell the house; that they're going to Medicaid's going to get the house. Well, uh, well, there is an exception to some of these rules. So, if they're it's a married couple, and the spouse is the community spouse is what we call the spouse that's at home. So you have your um, spouse that's in the nursing home or facility. And you have the spouse that is in the home. They're the community spouse. As long as they're living in the home, it is exempt. They don't. They won't force you to sell it. So, I'm not sure. You know who they spoke with at DSS, but um, usually, and in all cases that I've been working with, the house is protected as long as the spouse is living there. There are equity limits, though. Um, around you know, in the five hundred thousand dollar range, you can own your property up to that amount, and it's exempt. What if um, and there are some? I'm sorry. What if the spouse wants to sell it that's living there? Is she allowed to? She can, but the proceeds you may have to spend down. It it kind of depends on where they're at in the application process. So that that would be a case specific analysis we'd have to do to see, you know, are they going to uh, purchase a new home with the proceeds? So it kind of depend on what they wanted to do with those proceeds. Okay, gotcha. All right, very good. Um, so. Who should get? Who should practice estate planning? Everybody. I mean, yeah, what's the difference between estate planning yeah. and a will? Yeah, yeah. So um, that's a good question. So any, I think anyone who's over the age of eighteen, whether you have a small estate or a large estate, you should look into estate planning and um, making sure that your wishes are going to be carried out, no matter how big your estate is. So we work with people of all different different asset and income ranges. You may hear my assistant in the background. I'm working from home. Um, so 
we work with people, yeah, for, with all different sizes of estates. So if you're over 18, you have capacity to understand what you're setting up, then I would recommend looking into, you know, setting up a will or a trust. And there's, you know, differences between the two. Um, there's pros and cons between the two. But your standard will is a document that does not avoid the probate process. So you still have court oversight. If you if you set up a will and you pass away, your family will oftentimes have to work with the court, your local court, um, to administer your assets. Some people don't like that, so they want it private. And the trust is a route, a living trust is a route you can take to avoid that probate process. It's a little more costly to set up up front, but it saves money on the backside. It's private, no court fees. So a lot of people like that option. And you can put contingencies, you know, on an inheritance, which is nice. You can say, you know, I want to make sure that this individual gets their inheritance over a period of this many years because they're not great with money management. So you can put those contingencies on the inheritance, which is nice through the living trust. Yeah, we've uh, what, what is so. What I'm trying to say is that you know you all you always hear the story of yeah, well that that guy is a uh, 20, but when he turns 30, he's going to get a million dollars. What what kind of um, will or, or plan is that? What is that called? Uh, it sounds like he has someone has set up a trust for him. So meaning maybe at 20, his whoever's leaving him this inheritance felt like he wouldn't be mature enough or um, financially savvy enough to manage that kind of money. So they said, well, we'll wait and give him his inheritance at a later date, maybe when he's more mature. So you oftentimes find that people will stagger an inheritance um, over a course of years, you know, 15 years or 10 years. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so you definitely want to be protected, um, like you said, so nothing crazy can happen. And you'd mentioned, right. you, you know, you'd mentioned here a healthcare directive and financial power mm-hmm. of attorney. Um, t- talk about both of those. Yeah, so very important documents to have. These are for while you're alive. If you do not have these in place and you were to become incapacitated, you couldn't manage your medical decisions or paying your bills. Um, your family or a representative would have to go to court and seek a guardianship or conservatorship in order to have authority to make those decisions for you. So if you set these documents up, it prevents, um, you know, all that court involvement. It's a very expensive process to go that route. So it's really simple and easy to set up the medical directive and the power of attorney. The medical directive you know, dictates if I'm incapacitated, I want this person to, you know, make medical decisions on my behalf. I want them to be able to talk to my doctor and make those decisions. Um, You want to name somebody who, of course, will carry out your wishes, who is comfortable in a medical setting. So if somebody is, you know, doesn't really like hospitals, they might not be the best choice. So you might want to talk with who you have in mind first to make sure they're comfortable with that. And I would put maybe a backup person in, but they're great documents to have in place. And there's two pieces a lot of times to them. You've got your, you know, healthcare directive where you're naming your agents and what they can do. And then you have a living will. Oftentimes people want, um, you know, they don't want to be kept on an artificial means of life support indefinitely. You know, they want that withheld if there's not much else that can be done. Um, Not to sound morbid, but um, people have pretty strong opinions about that. If, you're not comfortable mentioning that 
or you want your agent to make the decision at the time, then you can leave that language out. But oftentimes people do want that living will language in their document. Yeah, it's and, pretty um, pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, what yeah. what happens what happens if like you're a single man or woman and you have no family? I mean, mm-hmm. can- that's, a, that's a great question. I actually serve for a lot of those people. So many of our clients um, come to us and they say, you know, I don't have anybody local that I'm comfortable with doing that. Some people have named their doctor or physician if they agree to it. But our firm, there's a couple different attorneys at our firm, as I mentioned, and we're happy to help people if they need that kind of assistance. So there's a few people that I serve for who don't have family or friends nearby that they're, you know, trust in that role. So we'll do it if people need us to. So professional third party could do it. And you're listening to the run it real estate podcast right now. And, uh, we have on Julian Knapp attorney with Anderson Desmond and green. So, you know, this is pretty interesting stuff. So you're telling me if, um, you know, I've got it in writing and I don't have any family, then you will represent me. Um, if I become incapacitated, so I could say, Hey, I want her to pull the plug or I don't want my, I don't want, you know, right. Right. You know, whatever your preferences are, we work with you to figure out, uh, you know, what your, what your desires are. You can always supplement these documents. So if there are very specific scenarios that you want us to follow, we'll do it. So we just supplement the document, but yeah, we can do it for people that, that need, that need somebody. Now, how does how does it work in the state of Virginia? Say, you know, so I'm, I'm married. Me and my wife have a home. We have a mortgage. Something happens to say something happens to her, and then all of a sudden, I'm sitting here with this house. Does it automatically go to me? Um, or say it was, you know, di- different scenarios. Say it was paid for, and um, she passes away, and, and I pass away. Does it automatically go to the next of kin, like closest in line? Like, how does that all work? Okay, well, that's a good question. So as with a married couple, it depends on how the deed is titled. So the deed talk is recorded at the courthouse, and it shows how you own the property. If you own it jointly as a married couple, most oftentimes it's joint with right of survivorship or tenants by the entirety. So it would transfer completely to the survivor upon the first passing. If you own it, but I have seen it where you've owned it, they've owned it as tenants in common. And oftentimes you'll see that if it's a second marriage or a blended family and they want the proceeds from the sale, you know, to go certain places. Um, So you have to look at how the deed is titled. If it's tenants in common, then it goes through their estate plan. Their one half or whatever undivided interest they own passes through their estate plan. So it depends on how it's owned as to who it would transfer to. But most often, like I said, it's joint with right of survivorship. So it transfers to that survivor. And what the, your next question was, if they both are gone, <clears throat> what happens if you have no estate planning documents in place? Yeah, there's no, there's no will, there's no will, yeah. nothing. Mm-hmm. Then it would go um, in order of, it's a statute, an intestacy statute. If you die without a will or a trust or any state plan beneficiary designations, you die intestate. So there's a state statute that dictates who it goes to. So it would depend on who your heirs were. Gotcha. So would it go to the children first or yes, to a brother? Yes, if you brother? have children, yeah, I would drop. Okay, gotcha. So, so here's here's another one. I ran into this one um, in Charlottesville. There was a brother that passed away who um, who had a sister, and he had a couple of he had a couple of kids, but she thought she was there was no will, nothing. 
And she thought she was getting the property because she was the sister, but it actually goes to his children first, right? Yes. If he passed away, he has no documents in place. It drops to your descendants in that case. Interesting. Yeah, I'm sure there have been some battles. Was, was the property just in his name? Yeah, it was just in his name. Yes, then it would go to his children. Okay, gotcha. But if there was no children, it would go to the sister first. Depends um, if, if they have parents living. So it goes parents first, then siblings. Okay, gotcha. Parents first, then then siblings. Okay. Yeah, if no, if no descendants below you, then it goes you know to parents first, then siblings, then nieces and nephews. And uh, what is the process where it goes to the state? Um, that's where there's no family living at all. If they, I feel like, you know, you will, hopefully there's a representative involved and they can find somebody. Um, it would go to unclaimed property. It would sit in unclaimed property for a while. But um, I think, I mean, I've not had that happen where we couldn't find an heir. So, but I'm sure there are cases where that happens and it does go to unclaimed property. I think um, one of the biggest misconceptions though that I have are, when clients come to see us, they say, well, I need an estate plan because I don't want the state to get my property. And it's not that the state would necessarily get it. It's just if you have no heirs, then there's an issue there. So, um, gotcha. yeah, if, you, if you've got – just because you don't have an estate plan doesn't mean that uh, it will necessarily go to the state. Yeah, um, so no estate planning versus estate planning. Um, mm-hmm. You, you, you've talked about this a little bit. Um, but. Right. So, yeah, where, you know, might, your assets might not end up where you want them. Um, and with an estate plan, you can, like I said, dictate how assets are distributed out or doled out. If you've got a special needs beneficiary, someone who's receiving needs-based public benefits, you know, an estate plan is critical um, to make sure that they don't lose their benefits. Or if you have like I mentioned before, an irresponsible child or somebody who has an addiction issue, you know, you want to make sure that they're protected and that they're safe and that the money is not necessarily um, creating issues or a dangerous situation for them. Interesting. Some really interesting stuff too. um, So you do wills there, right? Mm -hmm. I do. We, yeah, we do simple wills, um, uh, long-term care documents, uh, asset protection documents. So, yeah, we go from simple wills all the way to, you know, that complex planning, um, medical directives, powers of attorney. So any documents that fall within that purview, we do. I'm sure it can get kind of tricky if, like, you know, um, you know, someone passes away and they don't have a will and they have a lot of money and there's, like, tons of different family members. They're probably all fighting for the assets. Yeah, I'm working on a case right now where that's the, the case. There was no will, can't find one. There's a lot of cousins um, and beneficiaries, so it will be interesting. We have an idea of what her wishes were, but there was nothing in place, uh, nothing concrete that dictates where they go. So that will be an interesting case to work through. But um, and, you know, and it bothers me because I know what I have an idea of what she wanted um, from a nephew of hers that I've been working with, but there's nothing, you know, there's no will that we can find. So we'll see what the heirs do. Yeah, that's, that, it's pretty interesting stuff that, you know, um, and, and um, what, what's the difference between me, like, uh, writing a will here, like, writing it on a piece of paper and having mm-hmm. um, a witness uh, and then saying, okay, 
Um, Uncle Joe, I want you to hang on to this. Um, and if something happens to me, then you pull this out. What is that legit? That's called a holographic will, but it would need, you'd have to write the entire thing in your handwriting. So you'd need to write it, not type it. If you type it out, then it needs to be witnessed and uh, notarized. I would recommend witnessing and notarization if you're going to type it out. Um, sometimes working with an attorney, though, can help you work through issues or come up with scenarios you may not have thought of, uh, like if a beneficiary were to predecease you. Um, so there are, there are some pros and cons, of course, to working with people, but I would say, yeah, if you, if you wanted, it would be legit to answer your question. If you hand wrote the entire thing, put it away, it would be a holographic will. Gotcha. Yeah. So you, I guess you would just hand that to somebody that you trusted, right? Yeah. Or you could put it in a safe somewhere and make sure they have access to it. So I would keep any of your estate planning documents in a safe place that's fireproof. Okay. And make sure who you've named, you know, to help, help with the process, the uh, executor or the trustee, you know, has access to that safe place. How many wills and, you know, and estates are y'all planning? How many of these are you cranking out a month? 10, five, a hundred? Oh yeah. I would say between the three of us. Yeah. Probably closer to a hundred between the three of us. It's a, it's a lot. So yeah, a lot of people have the need, but you'd be surprised at how few people in the general population have them. So we try to do, you know, speaking engagements to make sure people are aware of their options and encourage them to get their wishes put down on paper. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's important. Like you said, the, the lady you just mentioned here a few minutes ago, you had an idea of what she wanted for her family. Yeah. Now they're all fighting for that. So. Yeah, um, we're just hoping that some of them will, you know, do the right thing. She wants, She had some charitable intent, and so we're hoping that some of the heirs will you know, follow through with that. They don't have to, but we're hoping they will. Um, have you had any weird wills? Like, um, you know, I, I was just Googling, um, you know, um, th- there was a, a comedian named Jack Benny, and um, he passed away in 1974, and um, he, in his will, he was, he wanted to give his wife a flower every day, a rose. I mean, oh, any, my, any weird yeah. stuff like that? Not personally. I mean, people can get really detailed with their wills, but nothing, nothing to that extent, I would say. Um, so that's, that's a unique one for sure. And you'd probably have to set aside a bucket of money to do that. I imagine every time. So. Yeah. So, but you could do that. I could say in my will, Hey, I you want could. my wife to be delivered a flower every day from, um, the, this, this flower store, um, until she dies. I think that's feasible if you wanted. So there, these documents are flexible. So we, there's a few things we have limitations on, but yes, if someone wanted to do a flower delivery once a day to their surviving spouse, I think that's sweet. Yeah, I've not had that request before, but you know, back I, when I was a kid, there was a billionaire, um, and she owned a bunch of hotels. Her name was Leona Helmsley, and uh, she left twelve million dollars to her dog. Oh yeah. I definitely see people leave big, you know, big uh, estates to their pets. That's insane. Those are pet trusts is is what I would set up there. So, and the pet trusts are unique in that you have your named caretaker who, you know, cares for them on a daily basis, but you want to have the money separate, someone else managing the money for your pet. But yeah, I get that. I get that request often. Yeah. So you could do some weird stuff like, and, and keep it private, like, um, there's yeah. there's one in here where a guy left all the money to his ex wife and didn't tell his current wife. <laughs> oh my gosh! 
Well, that would be pretty tricky. There are some rules about that where you can't disinherit a spouse unless you have a prenuptial agreement. So how, how, that, that can get tricky. How about um, like big donations? Like, hey, I want all of this to go to my college or, you know. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We can do that. Do you do a bunch of those? Yeah, we do definitely charitable requests. We do uh, many of those. We do uh, private foundations. So if you want to create a foundation upon your passing and you name a board who manages it, you can do that as well. So many options with the charitable giving. That's that's insane. There's one in here um, where someone left their um, money to uh, 70 strangers from a phone directory. They just had the lawyer go in there and just randomly <laughs> pick people out. That is very bizarre too. That's a that's a new one. I've never heard that one. And I, feel, uh, my, I my requests are pretty normal. But yeah, for the most part. Yeah, the the, the weirder the better for me. Um, so, <laughs> and so hey, here are some here are some famous Americans who have died without a will. Uh, Chris, oh, yeah. do you remember Chris Farley? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Son, Sonny Bono, mm-hmm. um, Kurt Cobain, um, yeah. Martin Luther King didn't have a will. Um, John Denver and, um, Howard Hughes and who I wish I was related to, but, um, (laughs) so, Hey, so say for instance, Martin Luther King or someone has a product, you know, and say they have a will and it's set up for my family to get this money for the rest of their life. What if it's like set up for a couple of family members, but not the rest, do they automatically get it or is it just in right there? Am I making sense? Do you mean, so, so you're saying some children are left out or. Yeah. Yeah. Say say Chris Farley had a will and he left all of his money to his, um, his two children and, um, you know, they, they were supposed to get it in increments, but then they passed away, but they had some, they had some children. Do they automatically get it? Well, it depends on what the document says. So, there are cases where I have clients who want the money to stay in a family and pass down to uh, children, grandchildren in that case. Um, or they say, no, we want it to stay at that generation. So it would go to the surviving sibling. Huh. Let's say if there's, if there's a surviving sibling. Okay. And, and again, if you, if all of your beneficiaries that are named um, are not surviving and you haven't said, you know, what happens, then it goes back to that intestacy statute. Pretty, so, pretty interesting stuff. Is there anything? That's I ha- why, that's, yeah, that's that's really where an attorney can help you say, okay, we need a plan just in case these beneficiaries pass away before the money um, has been distributed or if they predecease you. So that's where, you know, an attorney can add some value and help you plan for those, you know, um, scenarios that are not necessarily common, but but they can happen. Yeah, opposed to you sitting there writing it um, with a pen on a piece of notebook paper <laughs> yeah. and putting it behind the, the brick that's um, outside uh, connected to the chimney. Yeah, maybe not. Don't do that. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Well, you, you've been very um, informative today. Um, is there anything I haven't covered, you know, to, to cover all of our bases just to make sure people are safe when it comes to planning for the future? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so with our current situation. I think we covered most everything. Um, but with our current situation, um, I just wanted to let you know that we are, we have adapted to the times and, uh, are doing a lot of zoom appointments right now, a lot of teleconferences. 
um, to keep people safe, but also move forward with their estate plan. So I've been working a lot with people over, over Zoom, and it's nice because you can share a screen and I can go through documents with them. So it's really nice. Oh, that's and cool. And then we find ways to sign. Yeah, so um, we've tried to adapt to what's going on, but hopefully we'll be able to meet again in person soon. Yeah, what, what, I mean, what, what, what is the price of a, a will? Are you allowed to tell oh, us yeah, that? Yeah, that's a great question. Absolutely. We work in flat fees. Our fees have honestly um, been the same for quite a while. Um, a standard will package, which for a single person uh, is 600 typically. So that's your will, power of attorney, and medical directive. For a married couple or um, friends coming, I've had two friends come in together, which was interesting, but... Um, and siblings, we we discount it to nine hundred, so it's basically four fifty a person. Yeah, that's not and bad. That, yeah, and that and we try to make it reasonable. And then um, the trust package is a little more expensive, but it kind of depends on what you're doing yeah. and what kind of trust we're setting up. If it's an asset protection trust versus just your standard living trust, you know, as an estate plan. Huh. All right. So, hey, Julianne, I want to thank you for joining Absolutely. us today. Thank on the, you so much for having me. Yeah, on the Roll Night Real Estate Podcast. Julianne Neff of Anderson, Desmond, and Green. She is an attorney <clears throat> here in town. And how do people connect with you? Say they want to get a will. They want to do some estate planning. How do they reach you? So our office number, they can call our office. It's 540-776-6434. Or my email address, you can just email me directly, is Julianne, J-U-L-I-A-N-N-E, at AndersonDesimone.com. And it's A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N-D-E-S-I-M-O-N-E.com. Yeah, so you, that's the best way to reach us. Yeah, yeah. And your office, again, 540-776-6434. And you can just message, right. message me. I'll hook you up to and get you connected to yeah, her. So. that'd be great. Thank you so much. Thanks yeah. again for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. And, th- and thanks for listening to the Roanoke Real Estate Podcast. Want to be on the Roanoke Real Estate Podcast? Call Frazier now or text 540-314-5583. Also contact Frazier to sell or find your next home. And he is always fresh on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Stay positive, Star City and Hughes. It don't lose it.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.